Hello and welcome back to the Venturing Aki podcast. That particular area is a tinderbox. But it has, you know, it, it, the way you look at it differs. If you, there are two angles of looking at it. One is historically, one is religious, uh, the religious angle. And Palestine in general, who were always, you know, regarded as, I would say, the middle child of the Middle East. Uh, we always got the stepbrotherly treatment at such but they always had the sympathy of people in the western world they lost a lot of that political capital because of what happened in the starting few days but they also managed to you know shock the israelis into uh, into i would say hey wake up we are still there we are still fighting you know at a spent force Welcome back to the podcast. Hey, Akshay. Good to be in a face-to-face thing now. Yeah, I mean, I'm, we, I'm, we have done about two audio podcasts uh, up till now, correct? I think yep. Battle of Sangshak part one and part two. Yep. Yeah, and I really enjoyed the discussion. And I think for this one, uh, we're going to be speaking about Israel and Palestine. Because like everybody else... You're going uh, to take a geographical current... jump from east india to middle east middle east correct but before we get into that uh, i want you to give uh, i want for the benefit of those who are new and who have not heard you before uh, who are you who is sanman azabnes if you, if you can give a quick uh, you know introduction about who you are so um before i start like i have a goal so please bear with me uh so sanman asabnis strike likes to characterize himself not in the third person of course but likes to characterize himself as an amateur historian by night but by day i'm a consultant i work in a big four organization and uh, i have a passionate history interest in history so that's been one of my driving factors you know that's how we got involved as well into this podcast so that's something which has driven me apart from that i'm also big time into sports and that's a little something about me yeah right and and for those who do not know he was also a part of the ncc national cadet corps uh, in case for audience who are not aware of what national cadet corps is is basically a youth program uh, for for students so that for those who are interested in a military kind of grooming and all of that they get a very similar experience to the military minus of course the actual military nature of the the job they essentially students who get certain degree of exposure to military way of living uh, he's also somebody who came rank 1 all india merit for in the service selection board for the army uh, unfortunately due to a, a color blindness issue uh, he was unfortunately not able to you know actually wear the olive greens but he has proved himself that he is fit enough to to wear the olive greens by going through the same competitive selection procedure what almost 100% of all candidates go through if they want to be become officers in the indian army but with that said i think i'll i'll start first with a, a little bit of introduction on on what i feel about conflict in general right like like change is the only constant on this planet right it's a fact of life conflict is also a fact of nature it's a it's a sad and cruel reality but i think we need to accept that reality so whether you're a single celled organism or whether you're a, a human being who has consciousness a multicellular organism 
it doesn't matter when it comes to conflict everybody is on the level playing field and despite yeah. having education and consciousness and ability to retain history and and think about the future in in this particular regard when it comes to conflict we are we are no different from any other animal on the planet right now if you look at sharks just to give an example of this sad reality uh shark babies in the womb of their mothers they eat their own siblings because they see that as a competition even before they are they are born right and uh, when you look at uh, a, a pride of lions you know leaving behind their young one who is not fit enough uh, to survive and and bashing on regardless as cruel and sad as it may be it's it's a fact of life and you have you know a pack of dogs uh, conflicting over maybe food and you have plants which are con- conflicting with each other for nutrients you know so so this happens across all kind of living organisms across all geographies uh, you know it is it is pervasive to an extent that uh, it is it is devoid of any religion belief faith and all of that it, it goes beyond that right so with that said i think the moralities of conflicts are, are a little you know it's it's a slippery slope and i think having the ability to see through all of the all of the posts that are generated via social media and all of that requires a little bit of objectivity a little bit of reading of history and a less reactionary approach to whatever you see on your feed but more of you know taking a break stepping back looking at the facts and then uh, talking about it and i think at the bottom at the very heart of it, it it's about managing conflict i mean now that we have established that we cannot avoid conflict it's going to happen in various shapes or forms from extremely violent to you know simple conflicts of between siblings right uh, but it's about managing conflict but on on that note i think let's let's start with i think 7th october uh, what what happened in 7th october you know and how everything transpired yeah um before i get into that one very important thing that you said of conflict being there since the start of time i would say somewhere i read that conflict or war is the ultimate tool waiting for the ultimate practitioner which was mankind so you know and that brings me to your question of what happened on october 7 it was a bubbling over of conflict which happened things we felt were going right you know things were normalizing and suddenly you have you know your social media blow up and say that hey hamas just you know paraglided and attacked into israel and you know this is what's happening and to be very honest i think most of the people including myself were caught out of the blue on this one because largely that uh, you know that area has been dormant for a while and dormant in a, in a middle east environment is quite a stretch at times but what happened on 7th of october and the subsequent week and then there on onwards was basically a colossal failure of people people on the ground in israel and uh, you know other intelligence agencies to predict that how coordinated uh, organization that they have little or no respect for can be and how coordinated they can be in attacking proper positions of the forces the police the army and to what extent they're willing to attack so the rules of the war as we call it were thrown out in the very first minute and this is what you saw on october 7th and then of course subsequently you know i i personally feel that you know and i'm calling this out right at the start of this podcast that hamas 
uh, and Palestine in general, who were always, you know, regarded as I would say the middle child of the Middle East. We, uh, we always got the stepbrotherly treatment as such, but they always had the sympathy of people in the Western world. They lost a lot of that political capital because of what happened in the starting few days. So, whatever they had managed to build up in the psyche of, and I say Western world for a large extent because that's where your money comes from, that's where your support is coming from, that's where your social media narrative is also driven from. So, the the political capital that they had been able to garner in the last few years, you know, uh, using social media as a as a I would say a front of war if I can call it that, and, you know, calling Gaza as the largest prison in the world and, you know, saying human rights are being deprived to a very large extent. Everything that they had built up to, they lost in the very first few minutes of that war. But they also managed to, you know, shock the Israelis into, uh, into I would say, hey, wake up. We are still there. We are still fighting. We're not a spent force. And you really need to take us seriously. So this happened, but, but, you know, the, the same thing, like uh, what 9-11 did for the Americans or what 26-11 did for us, it, it shifts the political blame game to a certain extent. And it, what it does, it, it removes certain sympathies that people have. So the moment you kill people from other countries, especially like, for example, I want to take that example of that music festival, which they attacked. Most of the people were not Israelis over there. They were just there by chance. And that's they paid for it by life by their life, and then the subsequent videos and the social media narrative which was which emerged out of that didn't really help their cause. So yeah, that's I think you know that's something which was one of the things that struck me was that all the political mileage that the Palestinians had built up they lost it to a very large extent to a very large extent. To a very large extent, correct, and. I think, you know, I would I would like to actually put out a disclaimer. I think by this point, you know, a lot of people, they're generally waiting, all right, whose side are you on? Are mm-hmm. Israelis or the Palestinians? And no matter what side you take, they immediately just shut off. You know, they, yeah. they're not interested in, in listening to the argument from the other side. And, and that's fine. And I think uh, quoting that, uh, you know, uh, the possibility of that happening, I think uh, being able to say uh, with complete freedom what, what is right, you know, even if it, what it might hurt or it might not be in, in as per your belief system, I think it's very important to still still say that. And I think oh, the point that you mentioned about political capital and, and having lost it, you know, a lot of people talk about the morality of who is more morally correct and who is more morally wrong, you know, and a lot of people, they are, see, I mean, obviously, if you see violent images on the screen, you're automatically going to get yeah. really affected. And then whatever decision you take, it's going to be an emotionally driven decision. It's not going to be a decision that that you have taken based on an actual assessment, which is devoid of emotion, right? So it's a reactionary, uh, sort of emotionally uh, reactive. Uh, you're taking sides based on what you feel. And, and that's that's very dangerous. Yeah. Right. But that is why I actually want to dive a little bit into the history of the conflict. And I think they say that, you know, uh, there's a very famous adage, uh, which, which basically states that if you ignore history, you are condemned to repeat it. Right. And uh, obviously the history is very, very vast. You can't, you know, go through every single bit of it, but 
for the for the sake of time and, and i'm going to start at the six day war because i think uh, there are a lot Actually, of important the, event yeah. the thing you need to understand about that particular area and i'm not even getting into the rest of the middle east okay that particular area is a tinder box but it has yeah, you know no, it, it, the way you look at it differs if you, there are two angles of looking at it. one is historically one is religious uh, the religious angle the historical angle treats it as a very fresh conflict i mean it's just 1500 years old and in history that's that's not really a lot i mean the modern yeah. world had been built up by then and 1500 2000 years ago it's not really that significant but from a religious significance uh three re- major religions which constitute i think and i'm saying this right off with of my head i'm not sure what the number is but nearly 60 70% of the population of the world these three major religions of christianity judaism judaism and islam all claim stake to that area in one form or the other and they all emerged right. in an and emerged around the same time around about 2000 1800 years ago so it depends on what sort of lens you are applying on this conflict if it's a historical lens you you, you know it's like saying the us does not belong to the americans it belongs to the native americans and now where are they did what they in a casino or they're in a reservation it's like that so it depends on what sort of lens you are applying on this conflict the moment you apply a religious lens and you say okay this belongs to me that changes the entire your your thought process or your way of approaching this conflict if you say it's a religious if you put a, if you put a historical lens to it then technically it does it doesn't belong to anybody who's actually fighting over it correct absolutely right i think there is nothing that is going to refute that in fact i'd like to add to the religious point it's a, it's a very interesting debate around that as well but before i we dive into that i think just for those who are not aware of the history at all i'm going to start at the six day war it predates that actually yeah. it actually goes all the way down to the britishers and if you really want I to mean, pin the blame w- yeah it. i mean what what a surprise yeah. it's the british <laughs> yeah exactly you know they have been the source of problems everywhere but uh let's 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 stick to this for for a, for the minute and for the sake of the arguments that are going to follow so what happened is like in during the six day war five countries arab countries came together to fight against the israelis so you had iraq lebanon syria jordan and egypt right now all of them all these arab countries ended up losing the war badly to the extent that for the next 12 years israel actually had a hold on the sinai peninsula right which is basically on the eastern bank of the suez canal and maybe it was foresight and or maybe it was it was political um, you know really good political move on on egypt's part and also israel's part both of them quickly came to the terms like all right you know if if you have a situation where the east bank of suez canal is controlled by israelis and the west bank is controlled by the egyptians and we are sort of fighting with each other then we are never ever going to see peace and the most critical supply line of of the oceans is is going to be you know uh, uh, is going to be held hostage uh, to a, another conflict and i think uh, it was a israel also in its part by conceding sinai uh, it assured its own sovereignty and peace so what were, what was the agreement so i think egypt became the first state in that region to actually acknowledge israel as a sovereign country uh in exchange for israel giving back the sinai peninsula to the egyptians and i think israelis by pulling back also effectively and by coming in, uh, to that agreement 
they at least silenced one enemy potential conflict that they could have had and over over that during the years egypt has actually gone on to become not an ally but definitely an international uh, partner uh, to the israelis in, in many ways uh, it's interesting also, you know you mentioned that international partner i don't think there is something called as an international partner ever but uh, we say that gaza strip which is on the you know west coast of what is israel and it borders borders uh, egypt as well it's actually governed not just by israel it's actually blockaded by egypt as well so there is Correct. very restrictive entry for the palestinians into egypt as well egypt does not want the palestinians they have never accepted Correct. the palestinian and, refugees and yes and and i was actually going to come to that how jordanians and the Pal- and the egyptians and the syrians how is it that all of these countries which which come in support of of palestine they actually don't want the palestinians right but of course that's that's a we will get into that in some time but before I, we go there i actually wanted to establish something and and that is so for, for so egyptians they sort of came in and they they agreed to all right we'll settle it you are a country we accept you as a reality a geographical reality let's stay in peace couple of years down the line the jordanians also uh, shook hands with the palestinians the jordan israel peace treaty came about and they shook hands and everything is peaceful amongst them uh, and and for some reason now you had these the first antifada and the second antifada and you had the camp david accords and you had the oslo accords oslo 1 accord oslo 2 accord and during those accords i think internationally plo which is the people uh, palestinian liberation liberation organization, organization yeah 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 internationally that is actually accepted as the spokesperson for the palestinians right yeah. now if if that they are accepted as the international spokesperson for the palestinians then hamas automatically by their definition becomes a non state actor yeah right depends on how you look at it yeah correct but when 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 the palestinians today claim that you know they want international support and and there's this organization that is effectively a non state actor in the eyes of the world is conducting a terrorist attack and is siphoning off all the money that comes into the palestine into palestine and then using it to build a terror infrastructure which is which is so massive which you know uh, i think a couple of days back or maybe today they released footage of the tunnels which were which were under the hospitals and and the extent to which they were spread out and essentially they are holding the palestinians hostage and essentially they are uh, doing actions on behalf of the palestinians without the palestinians consent if i were to support it that way right and that is where the problem is and i think i think you have if you really care about the palestinians then you have you cannot use hamas and palestine in the same breath you need to dehyphenate the two and only then you actually can talk about the palestinians and the, and their right that is what i believe and 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 when you look at when you look at what's happening you know even when the second intifada took place uh, this this thing about suicide bombing started from the palestinian side you know you you did not have and of course there are skirmishes Actually, there are israeli yeah i mean just you know one quick point of note Actually, it was the yeah. Palestinian organizations way back eighties who taught the LTT, like not the Tamil Tigers, uh, how to do suicide bombings. And and for those who do not know what the Tamil Tigers are, they are 
they are a group that was fighting for independence in sri lanka uh, for our listeners who are not aware just for their clarity but yes so continuing from there you had the situation where in second intifada it was from the palestinian side that they started suicide bombing and all of that stuff now i can understand your grievances but the moment you start taking actions like these that are that are of such a nature then you automatically have lost the right to 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 demand anything right and you know you know there's this there's this thing about who's who's morally correct and who's who's morally more more wrong now violence of any kind is is wrong you know uh, i mean israelis bombing the palestinians flattening them out it, it, this it's it's horrible i mean there's nobody with the right conscience who accepts that right but i would like to actually point to a very simple distinction between two organizations you know and two countries or two two states you have is what is what is one similarity between israel russia united states north korea for that matter china right in all these countries some of them authoritarian some of them not some of them communist all these countries have their military facilities which are far removed and separate from the civilian population even though in some countries like north korea the population might be subjugated under the authoritarian regime but for whatever they all of these countries have this distinction that they will never fire a rocket from the house of a civilian right now there is an organization which is hamas which claims that it is fighting for the palestinians and their rights and yet it will place the rockets in an environment where by its nature of war you will expect a retaliatory attack so in effect they they have not taken a decision that is in the best interest of their own people right now when we talk about the second aspect which is about education and economy uh israel built a booming economy for itself it ended up building a, a massive international uh, outreach it has athletes and it has people who are doing well economically all over the world and becoming education technology you know converting water salt water and making it into portable drinking water whatever the their in in terms of agriculture all the technological advancements now when when the palestinians were receiving were receiving so much of billion of dollar of aid right where has that money gone couldn't they have built schools a, a functioning doc a, a functioning what what a, what a nice idea what a nice idea you pump a area full of money and voila you expect results I mean look no, but, but let's, I, let's I be very honest from a di- distinction point of view. no let, yeah. let's be very honest firstly uh, i mean they are not a united bunch themselves okay the correct. palestinians correct it, it's not as if that uh, what hamas is representative of like you said of palestinian people and now more so even though i know a lot of people are supporting hamas the reality in the gaza strip is very different as compared to west bank west bank is something which was originally the i would say the stronghold of your plo and your fatah and your you which was the uh, you know the other political body apart from hamas and i would say there's a peaceful existence but definitely there's a existence better existence as compared to the gaza strip and the reason like if you're not united in your own community if i can call it that then the chances of you you know uh, achieving anything is very limited and hamas ultimately you know you know all your manifestos and all your you know proclamations ultimately it's a organization 
which is looking at profit. Now, profit might be monetary profit. Uh, by the way, Hamas is one of the richest organizations, terror organizations, if you can call it. Most of their Correct. leadership is in Qatar, and they're, they're pretty well settled, if I can call them that. It's only uh, it serves the political, uh, you know, capital or gain for get their gain to keep the Gaza Strip as it is. It's a lot like Kashmir, if you see. For years, is uh, I would say most of the '90s and early 2000s, it served the gain of the local Kashmiri parties and uh, to a large extent uh, Pakistan as well to ensure that you know the Kashmir insurgency is not solved because the moment it gets solved the, the solutions are there it's not as if you know it's uh, you have to pull a genie out of a bottle it's just that your relevance goes away people pull back the veil and they understand okay we are trading one thing for what so even even Fatah had a militant organization a PLO was a militant organization at one point they all had the militant arms uh, funny thing is that uh, the israeli athletes who were killed in munich in the olympic munich. games in 73 yeah. the origin of that group came from the conflict that jordan had with palestine jordan and palestinians went to war and that black september was the aftermath of that which they then you know started targeting israelis after that but that's the that's the problem and you mentioned, you know, why would you build your infrastructure, your military infrastructure on top of hospitals in, term, in populated environments? Because that, that's the thing. Israel is that's going to respond. Fuel. Yeah, Israel is going to respond. Exactly. There's no doubt about so that. Every, so there is going to be... Yeah, yeah, I mean, so you it, can't expect... If I throw a stone at you and you're purposely positioning yourself behind a child, chances are I'm going to hit you or chances are I'm going to hit the child. I mean, it's a 50-50 thing, right? I mean, it's not, right. it's after all, it's a, a munition drop from the air. So, and that is what is, what I've been mentioning, the political capital that they had built over the years where they said that Israel is bombing our cities. Yeah, yeah, Israel is bombing our cities. There are thousands of Palestinians who have died and it's, it's a massive, uh, you know, I would say a humanitarian crisis, but it's not just one side's fault. It's the site. Somewhere I read that it's not Israelis who are holding the Gazans hostage. It's rather the Hamas who is holding the Gazans hostage. Gazans hostage. Because it serves their purpose. Serves their purpose. And and like you said, you know, it it reminds me of a scene from the movie Dark Knight, Batman, right? Where the hostages are tied up uh, with with guns in their hands to make it look like they are the ones who are. uh, well, and yeah, let's be honest, like, there, there is a massive humanitarian crisis in Gaza, and not uh, as compared to West Bank. West Bank is relatively better off, but Gaza is a problem because... Problem, and... Yeah, yeah I mean, and, you have no access. I, everybody accepts, everybody accepts yeah. that, and we have our sympathies for them. But here's, here's the thing, this is exactly what I'm trying to say. If the Hamas actually wanted to do something for the people of, of West Bank, and they wanted to do something which would make them a much more powerful force in the region to actually uh, fight the Israelis, whether it's the narrative battle or whether it's the battle in terms of... They would have actually strengthened the the Palestinians by by giving them education, by giving them a voice outside their the, the geography of the West Bank, by giving them passports, making border controls, having immigrations, you know, all of that stuff. And becoming... Become, the moment you you have voice and educated people in big places who are doing well in the, on an industry who are leading multi- big companies automatically people have a lot of respect for you as a state right 
look at and, the look at the jewish uh, uh, population if i can call them that the reason israel is able to garner support is exactly what you said they control media they control banks they have a lot of political and monetary capital it allows them to dictate certain things and whether you like it or not that's how the world works the, absolutely the, i mean it's not just soft power it's actual power and you need that i mean you need money to be infused the reason you know you say the six day war I, i go back even you know 20 years before that in when what they call the uh, a war of independence right around our own independence struggle For, uh, 48 49 they were fighting each other it was the you know well established jewish uh, populations across europe across the us who were able to infuse the people at, on the ground with money with equipment with support and that matters a lot this is something that you know uh, the palestinians have been unable to do yeah the world can only give you sympathy after but sympathy after is not yeah sympathy is of no use after a point after a point and and i think for those since we were speaking very briefly we are touched up touched upon the the concept of these religious angle to it perspective or lens to it very recently i was very surprised to see the reaction from the crown prince of bahrain which is part of the uh, abraham accords if i'm not wrong he categorically categorically denounced the actions of hamas you know for for the supreme leader of a, of a muslim country of the arab state to come out and categorically deny hamas and and to say and and not to say they they of course uh, speak against the the bombings of the israelis but i think the fact that even arab countries and the leadership know uh, uh, that you know israel's hands are tied that itself is a reflection of if where the leadership that the leadership is informed and they are not confused by what's happening on ground and and i mean yeah, i mean some of the accords have still stayed yeah exactly you know? and one of the um, things that which i personally feel was hamas had to act if they had to remain in uh, relevance if i can call it that uh, because israel and the arab world is was very close to signing accords which would be more lasting than once we had in the 90s the oslo accords at least and that's where the shift is there you know you mention a religious angle and there are religious fundamentalist in israel as well who say that this all of us is us i mean the palestinians have to be kicked out of the west bank as well and the same you have you fundamentalist on both sides when oslo accords were signed it was the plo and the fatah who was the you know the political capital organization of gaza before hamas came they were ready for a two state solution a lot of israelis were Correct. ready for a two state solution and that's where it all fell apart if a two state solution could have been achieved which i know for a fact it's not going to happen which there was just that one or year one year period where it may have been possible but that that stream was killed very early but now it's not going to happen so both sides have realized this they are not going to ask for a two state solution israel is pretty happy with how it is going in terms of its economy in terms of how they are doing well as a country i mean of course there the, are a lot of issues there as well but it's having a gaza strip is just a you know minor insurrection for them it's not a threat to their entire geography you must understand till the 70s they were under constant threat in the 73 war with syria and iraq you know they, they were almost pushed pushed back to the sea 
they were caught unprepared they are not in that position anymore even the arab countries realize this egypt jordan syria is now well syria syria now but lebanon all of them realize for their own existence because many of them are failed states as well you must understand everything right. around that uh, corridor if i can call that has possibilities of failing or has failed for their continued existence they need to maintain peace with israel whether you know they do it through gritted teeth or they do it with an open handshake that differs if you want to maintain trade and commerce with them then you do it with a handshake otherwise for your own survival you say okay you do your stuff you do our stuff but they have realized this the reason palestinians have not is because they have no you know i would say they don't have a country of their own which is sad in a way but their their existence is a nomadic one anyways for the gazans what can how it can't get any bad than it is right now but it correct. can for the jordanians it can for the egyptians correct and i think when you mentioned the point of they were almost pushed back to the sea it brings me back to what the palestinians or the hamas you know their their I, what do you call it their ch- chant or their war yeah, yeah. from the from the, from the coast from the, to the sea or something like that yeah something like that palestine shall be free well, from the river yeah, to the sea rivers to the sea yeah yeah so which is a reflection of the fact that they are not willing to accept that israeli people and israel as a geography should exist whereas yeah. if you if you look at the idf it stands for israeli defense force which is a military organization which is there okay we want to protect the territorial integrity of israel as it is now and of course to protect the people of israel that's it they never go out with the intention of well let's let's I'm, be honest if if israel if israel could remove the palestinians they would without uh, exactly and i keep bringing up the same point you know when when you use the word genocide so freely these days people are using it almost willy-nilly you right and when they use the word uh, uh, what do you call it ethnic cleansing yeah. i sometimes ask them do you do you do you google the definitions to actually understand what it means i mean azerbaijan uh, means azerbaijan doing that in armenia is an ethnic cleansing now that's uh, you know ethnic cleansing when it happens it's it's severe if, if israel and you know i i'm sure they would do it as well if they could if they thought they could get away with it but I mean, Understood. let's be honest. Abs- yeah, absolutely. Yeah. They're not going to do it. The, the world right now, they have the support of the entire world. They're not going to waste that all that capital they've gained. Correct. Why will they? Correct. And I think, and I think, if the Palestinians really want to win this, this on an international level, instead of instead of supporting uh, the fallout of the consequences of Hamas of their actions, I think they should first aim to. become a stable state right and once once that happens which is obviously highly unlikely with hamas at its helm yeah and like you said you know at the end of the day the they say the true the history is written by the victor right and ultimately whichever whichever country is brutally strong will be the victor so you can you can show sympathy i mean there's can, co- compromise you know, you is the solution out of this goes wrong correct Yeah, I mean, if you don't compromise, right, then you are risking think, same con- your your existence continuing as it is, and they do not have the military power, nor the financial capital, nor the political goodwill anymore to dictate terms as they once could. Right now, 
a compromise a self governance model is probably their only shot of you know in the at least in the next decade of coming out of the constant struggle and pain of what they have been forced to undergo and once you do that then you have some wiggle room to you know move around and actually do what it is that you know like start self governing yourself and start operating as a, a proper country correct and i think uh, i also want to talk about the iranian angle here right hmm. because for those who who want to actually be aware need to understand that there's a bigger larger game at play when it when it comes to the palestinian conflict and extends all the way to tehran and iran right so i think we need to touch on on that as well yeah i mean <laughs> iran is probably the iran and qatar are probably the only supporters active supporters of of palestine of hamas not palestine hamas and it, that serves their purpose because iran and israel have been in a i i like to think of it as a cold war even though it's not as well documented as the main one but they have been engaged in that because iran is diametrically opposite to what israel is and israel is diametrically opposite to what iran is there a direct threat to each other and they genuinely right. believe that you know if i have to exist the other side can't exist that's i mean right. the americans were worried about the iranian nuclear pro- program it wasn't the americans it was the israelis and israelis have been very open about the fact that they've been targeting iranian scientists and research facilities in that because they genuinely fear because iran is a regime which it's actually a very funny funny regime i would say it's confident and it is a religious organized religiously bent uh, regime which is often not the case even with iraq uh, even with you know other countries which are uh, which, which treat religion as the foremost you know go to weapon iran is somebody who isn't afraid of calling out the us or the israel or the western countries and they have the capabilities to do so they've been flexing their muscles in that area and that's what has got the israelis worried so uh, active support of there, there was a you know and iran won't waste it but there was an active chance of iran being involved in physically being involved in this conflict 100% they're training the uh, the hamas fighters there's no doubt about that the iranians yeah, have been think- training a lot of people anybody who requires training is being trained by the uh, your, your the coach guard and all that but Iran is a problem that Israel is going to have and I mean it's not just going to go away just by dealing with Hamas. Correct and I think uh, if you look at the way the initial attacks got panned out with so much of accuracy and coordination and the way they happened at multiple locations in perfect sync I mean you can only do that if you're trained by a professional yeah. right? And uh, what other country would if you if you like connect the dots back backwards and those who look into geopolitics of the region and have some degree of military knowledge as well you can very easily you know uh, trace back <clears throat> excuse me to the origins of i mean possibly links you know of the iranians actually uh, using them as a proxy to to yeah. for whatever reason okay, you know to use them against the israelis but i think uh, with this said you know you, you know uh, one thing yeah. that you point on uh, uh, this needs to be brought out that it 
Hamas is just like you said a proxy for Iran, and they understood that th- these attacks are not going to cause large-scale damage to Israel. What they were worried about is the fact that Saudis, your Egyptians, your Jordanians, most of Middle East is in a process or is already there or about to get there to form, I would say, a peace treaty with Israel. And that's unacceptable for Iran because it's not the Israelis, just the Israelis who are their enemies. They hate the other Middle Eastern countries as well. They hate the Saudis, they hate Iraq. (laughs) But like, yeah, it's not just, you know, it's not all hunky-dory in the Arab world as well. And this is Correct. their major concern. Iran and Qatar on the were on the verge of being isolated, not by the Western powers, but by the Arab countries themselves. Right, right. And, and you know, that, that's when, so when a lot of people, and especially overwhelming, you know, there's a particular um, religious community that shares the animosity with Israelis for, for whatever reason, Right. But when you look at the Arab states on a, on a, on a broader level, you'll see that for a, a lot of the, these countries, their leaders are actually very balanced in their view of, of things on ground, right? But I think with that said, uh, you know, this, this uh, I think this was a very uh, fruitful discussion. I mean, I mean since... we've barely scratched the surface, to be very honest. This conflict is as deep, depends, like, like your lens can be 20 years, it can be 50 years, it can be 2000 years. It depends on what Correct. sort of lens you're going to use for this conflict. And even then, you know, to understand, I, I think to understand this conflict, you have to really dive deep into the motivations of people, the religious motivations of people. And the fact that, you know, peace in this area seems still a very distant reality. And that's a fact that people have to accept. And I, I personally feel it's going to be more of the same even a decade from now. Correct. And I think, uh, uh, see, I mean, like you said, you know, it's, it's a, depending on what lens you look at it from, and it's, it's a very long protracted conflict, but for the, for, for, I think for the contemporary events, I think, uh, this is, uh, the general consensus. I think both of us, we are on the same page and I think we'll, we continue this discussion as, and when the situation changes, because it's a very evolving situation. I think we also need to speak specifically about the six day war and we need to speak about the Yom Kippur and, and all of that stuff, which happened. And, you know, maybe we can talk about, uh, what happened in Munich as well. And, and we can talk about PLO and, and the various Mossad, uh, you know, events that took place. So again, you know, it, it's, and I think, I think we'll, we'll do that in our next discussion on the next episode. But uh, for this one, thank you for joining and uh, looking forward for other ones to come. Thanks for having me, man. Venturing Aki Podcast. 